Good morning, everybody. First of all, can I say thank you for staying in when you had the opportunity to leave? (laughs) If you want to prepare for a few minutes' time when we get to our Bible reading for today, um, Acts 2 is where we're going to. And uh, this morning, we are considering the radical welcome of the early church. I think I'm quite a patient person, but if there's one thing that tries my patience is is it's what feels like that never-ending stream of emails and texts from companies and businesses uh, who want to know about my recent experiences of a product I've bought or uh, a service that I've undergone. Just in the last few weeks, I've had requests from Asda, from Sky, uh, from the NHS, Uh, from Toomey Cars, from Amazon, and from Norwich City Football Club, just to name a few. Asda wanted to know all about my recent uh, scan-and-go shopping trip. Sky wanted to know my opinions on their advertising. Toomey Cars were absolutely desperate for a five-star review from the car we'd just bought from them. And Norwich City asked me about my recent match day experience. That was really easy on that particular day. It didn't go too well. I did one of those recently and it told me it would only take me five minutes. Fifteen minutes later and I'm only 50% through. You get that little bar at the bottom that tells you how far you've got through the survey. And you might say to me, Roger, just ignore them. You don't have to do them. But I like to be helpful. Plus, there's always that chance, they promise you, of the £1,000 draw that your name will be entered into. The key question, of course, that they're all asking is, how well are we doing? Because they want to get better at what they do. And how well are we doing is an important question to ask ourselves as a church. So, as I said, we've started a new series uh, called Welcome. And uh, so the obvious question in doing this series on welcome is, how well are we doing when when it comes to welcome? How welcoming are we as a church and what does it look like? In my lifetime, I've been to and visited various churches and the welcome most certainly varies. Last week, Sally and and myself and Annie went to uh, a church up in a different part of the country, I won't tell you where it is, um, where we drove into the car park and there were lovely big welcome to church signs up. We were directed to where to park and then we slowly made our way to the entrance doors and there were two people on the doors and there were a, few, there were a couple of people in front of us and uh, the two people in front of us were greeted with the most amazing hugs. Oh, so good to see you. And they then went into church and Sally and me came along These two people did not say a word to us. We were ushered then in to this little auditorium, which was in complete darkness. The band were already playing at a level beyond anything I've experienced in a church. And the chap who was trying to find us a seat, I couldn't hear a word he was saying. And we were pushed down to like about the fourth row where I really just didn't want to be. But it was a really good service, I I hasten to add. And afterwards there were four baptisms, three of whom were young people 
from Suffolk camp, which was absolutely amazing. And then the service finished off with a lukewarm half cup of tea. In the summer, in the summer, we went on holiday to North Wales and uh, we went to this lovely church. I don't know what it is about Sally and me, but we got ignored on the way into that church as well. (laughs) But we went to sit down, we found a row, we were sitting in this row and um, this lovely lady sitting in front of us turned to us, her name was Gwen and Gwen saved the day. She was amazing. She asked us our name. She asked us where we were from. She was fully engaged in our lives, almost from the word go. And after the service, she turned. She wanted further conversation. She took a real interest in us. She encouraged both Oliver and Annie in their education. She'd been a teacher. And then she directed us to where the tea and coffee was. And then she caught us as we left tea and coffee, as we were going. And she came up to Annie and she said, I know you're getting your GCSE results this week. And she said... I just want to tell you, you're going to be okay. I'm going to be praying for you. Every single one of us here has stepped into a church somewhere for the first time at some point in our lives. And I wonder what your welcome experiences have been. And every one of you has walked into this church at some point in your lives, evidenced by the fact that you're all sitting here today. But whether you walked in as someone who already had a faith or maybe you didn't, you were looking and you were interested, either way, you deserved a welcome. And I don't know whether you felt welcome on that first occasion or whether you even feel welcome now, months or years on. Maybe there are times when you haven't felt welcome on a particular day. You felt a bit alone or felt ignored. Welcome is more than whether you're spoken to at the door. It's more than being shown to a seat. It's more than a decent cup of tea or coffee. But let me say all those things are good. And thank you to those of you that do them. The welcome of the church is so much more. The welcome we give each other has its foundation in the way that Jesus welcomes us. Last week, Andy reminded us that to welcome as Jesus welcomes means to forsake our status, to have a servant heart and to be humble towards one another in whatever way that might look for each of us. To be a truly welcoming church will mean sacrifice. It will mean putting others' needs before our own. It means putting Jesus at the heart, the centre of all we do. A couple of weeks ago, Dennis said, you've really set yourself a high bar. And I just want to say, don't be afraid of a high bar. Because a low bar is really easily achieved. But a high bar will keep us pushing to achieve greater things in the grace and power of God. Because if we think welcome is a handshake and a decent cup of coffee, the bar is pretty low. And it's actually pretty achievable. But if that high bar of welcome is about sacrifice, servanthood and humility, then with the Holy Spirit's help, we can achieve so much more and do so by following the example of Jesus. A truly welcoming church will be a growing church because people will feel drawn to it and something 
And that's something we're going to see in our Bible reading this morning. But let me just say, we don't aim to welcome well so that we can grow. We welcome because we follow Christ's example of love and of sacrifice, and we leave it to God to add numbers. I remember being asked in the last year or so, a prayer gathering or something similar here at church, what do you want Billericay Baptist Church to be? And I remember my answer being, I'd love to see it being a beacon for our town, a place that draws people in, a place where people know they're accepted because Jesus welcomes all, a place where we're a city on a hill, shining the light of Jesus across the town. In the book we're using for this welcome series, the author Jen Oshman describes the church as needing to be a porch light on a dark night. In my previous job, I used to come home at all hours of the morning and night, often two, three in the morning. And it's at those days when the street lights would all be being put out and it was completely dark. And there was nothing more welcoming than seeing the porch light on at home uh, as I got got close uh, to the place where I know I'm accepted and loved. And the church should be a place of open arms, of Christ's message of hope and truth, of light when life seems dark and broken. And it all starts with welcome. Just want to say two things before we get into our passage this morning. This morning, we're concentrating on how we welcome each other within the church. Because if we can't welcome each other as a group of people, how on earth will we welcome those beyond? And the second thing I want us to think about is this. Welcome is the responsibility of us all, not just a few. If you've been around for the last 20 years or so and have got children, you've probably come across High School Musical. And there's a very, very relevant song in it that says, we're all in this together. And that's so true about welcome. We're all in this together. So where can we learn today about how to truly welcome? Well, the title of this talk is The Radical Welcome of the Early Church. We're going to turn to Acts 2. And uh, if you've got a Bible, you can follow it, or if not, the, the verses are up on the, on the screen behind me. And it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a familiar part of the Bible to many of us, I'm sure. But let's remind ourselves of what was going on. This was after the death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And there is a group of believers, including the apostles, waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. If you go back into Acts 1, you will find that there were about 120 of them. And they're all together in Jerusalem. 
But also in Jerusalem are thousands upon thousands of other people, those who had journeyed to Jerusalem for Passover and were now staying on for the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. And Acts 2 tells us there were people from every nation under heaven. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in the most dramatic way. And Peter, one of the apostles, preaches a powerful message, a message that leaves thousands asking the question, what shall we do? Peter tells them to repent and be baptised for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people on that day did exactly that. One sermon empowered by the Holy Spirit And the number of believers goes from 120 to 3,000 in one day and the church is born. Can you imagine 3,000 new believers in Billericay? How would we cope? What would we do? These 120 believers now needed to invest in these 3,000 people who'd had their lives transformed. I can't quite get my head around what was going on. But every single one of them needed to be welcomed. So how did they do it? And what can we learn today as we learn to welcome each other wherever we are in our journey of faith? And the first thing I want us to see is that they welcomed all. There were absolutely no barriers in the early church to anyone. We've already seen that there was a whole variety of people from every different nation who responded to Peter's message. There's a whole list of them in Acts chapter 2. There was no discrimination, no picking and choosing who was welcome. The Bible tells us in another place, to all who received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. You know, God's story in the Bible opens, opens and closes with his heart for everyone. To Abraham in Genesis, he says, all peoples on earth will be blessed because of you. And in Revelation, it closes with John's vision of heaven, including a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And sandwiched in between the two, we have Jesus, who welcomed all and showed it day after day with his interactions with people of all backgrounds, all classes, to different people groups, to the rich, to the poor, to the male and female, young and old, the haves and the have-nots. And the early church followed suit by welcoming all. And we see it in the very next chapter when we see Peter and John interacting with a beggar and welcoming him. The subtitle of this book that we're using says, Loving Your Church by Making Space for everyone. I just want to tell you a story about another church uh, that I've been in uh, previously in my life in East London. And I want to give you two illustrations of something that happened and the way they were responded to. Now, a church in East London tends to draw in people um, of all, uh, from all different backgrounds. And on this, on this one particular Sunday... Um, the pastor was preaching from James and he was preaching on uh, the fact, you know, when a, when, a, when a man dressed well comes into your church, don't necessarily give him the best seat. Or when someone comes in and they're not so, not so well dressed, don't give them the worst seat. On this particular Sunday, 
this man walked in. I kind of knew him in a sort of professional, uh, from my professional role. And um, he's a heroin addict, he's homeless, dishevelled. Um, and he came and sat and put himself right in the eyeline of the pastor on about the second row and sat in a very, very intimidating way. And I've got to say, I, really, I did really feel for the pastor. And there's a lot more of a story behind this than I'm able to share. But what was really sad was the pastor, clearly agitated, turned and said, is there a couple of people that can show this man out? And your hearts just sank, and so did mine on that day. But can I ask us all a question? How many of us would have been first in line to go and sit with him? How many of us would have made time for him afterwards? Contrast that with another occasion. A local prostitute who had clearly been out all night walked in one Sunday morning. She wasn't particularly well covered up. And she came in, she was noisy. And I watched an elderly lady move towards her. And she took off her coat, her own coat, and she placed it over this lady and looked after her through the entirety of the service. And it would be easy to think, well, we don't have to necessarily think about people who may be in those situations here in Billericay, and to a degree that would be true. So we may need to think about it a bit differently. I go to a gym that regularly puts out a message, and I think I've stood here and said it before, and this message comes out on the Tannoy over and over. This is a place where all are welcome. No matter your age, your ability, your gender, or your sexuality. And on face value, it's a great message. And the gym does indeed attract a diverse group of people. But here's the reality. Most people who come into the gym put in their AirPods and put on their headphones and keep themselves to themselves. So in theory, we're saying everyone's welcome, but actually we're cutting ourselves off from everybody as well. And I wonder if sometimes we're not as welcoming to each other in church as we could be. And by that, what I mean is this. We keep ourselves to ourselves, our own friendship groups, people who are like us, just the people we know. We gravitate after the service only to those we already know and we distance ourselves from others for whatever reason. We're a diverse group of people, all with our differences. But let's learn to welcome by getting to know people we haven't as yet. I would hazard a guess most of you could look around this room and you will see someone you don't know. In my last role, in my last job, I worked in a very diverse office. I worked with with people of different ethnic groups. I worked with a a, a broken-hearted single mum who'd gone through a difficult divorce. I worked with people in same-sex marriages. And I sat there one day looking across my office and and I thought to myself... I hope that if any of you walked through those doors, you'd all feel welcome. You know what? If we can learn to welcome each other, we'll be equipped to welcome anyone, no matter who they are. Our job is not to judge, 
but to welcome and to love. The second thing the early church did was they welcomed with the word. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And so for these believers, these new people, these new Christians to be devoted to the word, the apostles had to be willing to speak it and share it. Jesus' closest followers had been through the most incredible few years of their lives. And now, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and Jesus' commission still ringing in their ears, they stepped up and taught this new group of believers and all who would listen the word of God. Here was a radical change because the disciples who'd spent the last three years learning from Jesus now had to pick up the baton and go and make disciples themselves. And they truly stepped up. We have to remember that the apostles who were bringing the teaching of the word of God only had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament because they were the ones who were becoming the New Testament. But I can imagine them in the temple using the Old Testament scrolls and pointing people to who God is, showing the prophecies that revealed the Lord Jesus and all he would do for the saving of the world. The footprint of Jesus is all over the Old Testament and so it's as important that we read and study it as well as the New Testament. I think somebody once said that Christ is in the old concealed and Christ is in the new revealed. Peter, in his Pentecost sermon, indeed quotes from the Psalms, which speak of Jesus. And in doing so, people have their hearts and minds opened to who Jesus is. I can also imagine those apostles spending lots of time teaching about the resurrection of Jesus, explaining all that they had witnessed and what that resurrection meant and its life-changing meaning. And I can also imagine they told people of the personal teaching they'd had from Jesus. I can only imagine that they recounted the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, the parables and the stories, and also some of those difficult things that he said, such as, take up your cross. But I also imagine they taught from their own experiences of the compassion and care of Jesus to all people and recounted the numerous healings and miracles he performed. This teaching was life-changing as the apostles taught because people became devoted to listening to it. And you may say, well, what's that got to do with welcome today? I want to suggest we've all got the ability to share the word of God with each other, to encourage each other. We can speak the Bible's promises of God into each other's lives. We can share the experience we've had as we've lived life with Jesus doesn't always have to be spoken. It can be shared in other ways. God may have a word or a verse that he wants you to share with someone this morning. And you can welcome someone this morning with a word of God. Maybe with something you've read this week. Maybe it's something that comes to mind from your past. You may think, oh, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I don't have any knowledge. Well, later we read in Acts that the apostles were seen as unschooled, ordinary people. And the difference was the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So it's not about who you are or how capable you feel. 
the Holy Spirit will enable you to be a welcomer with the Word of God. You know what? The Word of God is such a blessing, isn't it, into our lives. Psalm 119 verse 105 tells us, Your Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. You could shine a lamp in front of someone's feet this morning or someone this week as you share a word with them. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the word of God's living and active. Psalm 109 verse 103 says your word is like honey. Imagine bringing the word to someone today or, or again this week. That sweet taste almost like honey of the word as it, as it, as it fills their mind and their heart. And the next thing that this early church does is they welcome with fellowship. Here comes your Greek lesson for this morning. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, and it means to share life together. And the early church certainly shared life together. Our reading says they met together in the temple courts every day. They loved being together. And it went further than that because they also ate together. They were in each other's houses and eating together would have brought them around a table where they had opportunity to talk about Jesus and talk about life and faith. And then it goes further still because they sold possessions and gave to those in need. They shared life with each other and beyond. Do we share life together? Do we connect with each other in this radical way. I like to think of these people of the early church as bridge builders. Bridges are built to make connection and we need to make sure we're connecting to each other. Nobody should walk in here and walk out again unconnected to other people. Martin Luther King Jr. said, let us build bridges, not walls. And when we connect with each other, when we build a bridge into somebody else's life, Jesus can walk over that bridge and bring hope and truth and blessing. So let's make sure we're connected to each other. We can't meet together every day, but we do have opportunity to meet regularly. We can connect through serving. We can connect through being in a discipleship group or maybe just visiting someone who's unable to get out so easily. Church can actually be a lonely place sometimes. People can feel disconnected, not necessarily all the time. There are times when people feel disconnected. Gary's just undertaking his survey at the moment, and top of the list, as he shared on Wednesday night, of the answers he's getting back is loneliness. People can feel alone even in church. I was brought up in a church where I remember spending lots of time on a Sunday going to other people's houses for lunch and we do the same for them. Fellowship through hospitality is a real form of welcome. And in more than one place in the New Testament we're reminded to practice hospitality. And I'm going to share a a humorous quote which has a deeper meaning. True hospitality is having someone in your home when you actually wish they were in theirs. 
but it's got a real depth of meaning, hasn't it? Because we can be hospitable to those we, we love and like spending time with. We need to learn to be hospitable to others too. And I think we used to be really good at it. I think in years gone by, we've been really good at having people in our homes, looking out for each other. And that still happens, don't get me wrong. But maybe in a kind of way, we've, we've lost our way a little bit in, in doing that. Just saying after a Sunday or a couple of days before a Sunday, hey, do you want to come and, and share lunch with us? Or just come round for a cup of tea or coffee? And it's maybe something we need to rediscover. And so I've just backed myself into a corner. And I've written down here, practice what you preach. So I talked to Sally yesterday. And I said, this is what I'm going to speak on. And I said, I really feel like we should just open our home to a few people. So this is what we're going to say. If you're feeling today weary, you've kind of had a rubbish week, you're on your own, and you'd just like a meal. We've got about four or five places spare around our table for lunch. So come and see us. If there's a great big queue, <laughs> you might get the message that you might have to wait. But don't do the Christian thing of saying, oh, it's, somebody else needs that more than me. If you want to come and have lunch with us today, the, the welcome is there for you. Come and see us afterwards whether you're on your own, a couple, a family, and we'll do our best. And if you, maybe you're somebody who doesn't feel able to to provide something like that in your own home. Well, next week, as Bernard has already shared, you've got the opportunity to be part of Fellowship Lunch. And maybe in the past it's something you've avoided for whatever reason, and there may be genuine reasons for that. Can I encourage you to stay? They're brilliant times. Come and get to know someone else. Come and share food and fellowship together. What a way to welcome each other. And then before we get to communion, the final thing, or the penultimate thing, because communion is part of the welcome, this early church welcomed through prayer. And I could stand here a long time and talk about prayer. And some of you are thinking you've stood there long enough already. (laughs) I'm going to keep it simple. When we talk about prayer in the context of welcome, I'd sum it up like this. Prayer shows that you care. Jesus' disciples asked him one day, teach us to pray because they wanted to follow his example. And Jesus taught them to pray. He taught them both what to pray and how to pray. And as this teaching was But this teaching was passed on in the early church and the Holy Spirit transformed their lives and they were devoted to prayer. They prayed individually, they prayed in their homes, they prayed corporately. They prayed because they believed in a God who was to be honoured and who was sovereign. And they also prayed to a God who stands waiting to pour out his blessing on people who will humble themselves and call on his name and wants to hear their hearts desires. I love it here when someone comes alongside and says, can I pray for you? Or when someone tells me they're praying for me. Or they send me a message that they are. And I can be sure that they will be. 
So let's find ways of getting alongside each other and pray. Might be this morning. It might be on a Tuesday evening. Might be in your DG or in in your own homes. Prayer shows we care. Prayer shows a welcome. And the final way that the church showed welcome to each other was through breaking of bread. And we're going to do that together in just a few moments. On Friday, as I kind of came to the end of my preparation, I picked up my word for today. I didn't expect to get what I got. And I thought, after I've done all this, all this preparation, I could have stood here and read what I'm about to read to you. Because I think it sums it all up. And so, if you've drifted this morning, and that's okay, just switch on just for about... 30 seconds while I read this, because I think this just says everything. It's called In Church But Lonely. People come to church looking for light and warmth. They want to know that we care. Good preaching and music may bring them in, but relationships that nurture will keep them coming back. You can feel lonely in a crowd, even one that preaches love and has a greet-your-neighbour moment in every service. If we kept 10% of those who come through our church doors, we'd be in constant growth mode. You may say, well, the Bible teaches that if a man would have friends, he must show himself to be friendly. And that's true. But people bring with them the wounds of their past, the struggles of their present, and the unspoken anxieties of their future. And what they want to know is this. Will you love me as I am, even if I don't fit your mould? and change as quickly as you'd like me to. Because often our rigid structure structure keeps that from happening. If our greatest concern today or tomorrow morning is how many people did we have in church, we need to check our hearts. Because we may be more concerned with our own image than meeting people's needs. Jesus told his disciples, I've called you friends. Many people are shy, distrusting or hurting. Our mandate is to make friends out of them, not bench warmers or seat warmers and financial contributors. The scripture says bear one another's burdens because a burden shared is a burden lightened. Many of those who come to church aren't looking for profound answers. They just want to feel cared for. And when that happens, they open up to God's love. And miracles take place. Can we move to uh, communion now? And it seems appropriate be to um, to do this because we're the last part of the welcome of the early church was that they welcomed through the breaking of bread, and the early church embraced it. There are some who suggest that it was possibly a phrase that was used to further understand that they ate food together. But most believe that there was a combination of both eating together and also breaking bread and sharing communion as Jesus had instructed. And I love the way that just a few weeks after Jesus had initiated and shared the Last Supper with his disciples, here they are, passing it on, 
and sharing it with each other. Because they were desperate to remember all that Jesus had done and to keep on reminding themselves. And I I kind of caught hold of this phrase about breaking bread in their homes. And it's perhaps something that some of us already do. Maybe you do it in family or in, um, in discipleship groups. But others maybe feel that we can't do it because it's something we only do on a first Sunday in the month, on a Sunday morning. And it has to have someone particular to conduct it. Well, it certainly made me think about sharing communion with friends over a meal or simply with family or doing it more often when I get the opportunity to visit people. And maybe that's something you ought to think about yourself. The most important thing is that we understand what we are doing and we approach it with reverence and hearts of thankfulness and celebration. Friends, this is the greatest welcome that will ever be shown. It's a welcome for all. It's a welcome that comes at the greatest cost. It's a welcome that reaches down and reaches out. In her book, Jen Oshman says, no one has travelled further or suffered more to welcome their enemies in. Jesus, the creator and God of the universe, exchanged all the goodness of heaven and endured the cross that you and I may become children of God. What a welcome.